The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit shadygrovepca.org. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. So we lift up our hearts, our souls, and our voices to you and say you are good. There's none like you. And we ask that you'd open our eyes now, speak to us, Holy Spirit, and change us from the inside out, that we would be different as we leave this place. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at Numbers chapter 20 in our story of Numbers. If you want to follow along in the bulletin or in the Bible, This is God's word. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff. And assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly. The congregation drank in their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord. And through them he showed himself holy. Says God's word. Sobering text, isn't it? We see provocation, and then we see retaliation. Moses has had enough. And it's scary that often we can do more damage when we've been hurt. And if any of you saw the highlights, most of you probably didn't watch the football game Thursday night, the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers, but some of you probably saw the, the highlights afterwards of the thing that went viral at defensive end, Miles Garrett, who's an incredible athlete, he tackled the quarterback, Mason Foster, at the end of the game with a hit that was a bit hard and a little extended after he had completed the pass. And the game was about over, but Mason Rudolph was very frustrated in the game and tried to kick Miles Garrett between the legs, and then he tried to take his helmet off of this big defensive end's head. And Miles Garrett didn't take that as a compliment. And he proceeded to yank him up with one hand by the helmet, yank the helmet off of his head. And when Miles uh, Rudolph kept coming at him, he took 
this six-pound weapon of a helmet and hit a defenseless player who has no helmet on his head and whacked him over the head with it, okay? Did anybody see this? Or a bunch of you? Okay, a lot of you. And as a result, Miles Garrett has been suspended indefinitely. And what we saw, you know, the question of talk radio was, was who's, you know, who, who's to blame for this? Who was worse? You know, the retaliation or the provocation? And clearly the retaliation was much worse than the provocation. And here clearly we see the people of God have it out for Moses. They have provoked him. But what we see was Moses is going to do something that's far worse. You see, the problem here in verse 2 is pretty simple. There's no water. And this is not the Exodus 17, no water. That was before Sinai. Now this is after Sinai. This is 40 years later. We're getting kind of a replay. And certainly the people of God can remember God's deliverance and provision in Exodus 17. And so you're thinking as you're reading along here that they would assemble themselves in verse 2 to have a prayer meeting to pray for God's provision since he had wonderfully delivered in Exodus 17. Is that how verse 2 completes itself? And they assembled together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we had perished. Not good. And so Moses is taking a lot of hits in the book of Numbers, and this is mutiny again. On eight separate times in this book, we, t- we are told that the people of God are against Moses. And even his own brother and sister took issue, and we're told they took issue with his Cushite wife. And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. In boxing, we might say, that's below the belt attacking my wife and attacking her most likely because of her skin color and her race as she's Cushite, she's black. They didn't somehow like interracial marriage or mixing with Gentiles. And God defended Moses here and Miriam becomes leprous like snow. And after refusing, that's just one incident, but after refusing to believe the people of God in the next chapter in, in In Numbers uh, 13 and 14, Joshua and Caleb, the two spies brought back this great report that we can certainly take the land. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. And the people, however, had grasshopper syndrome. And they said, there's giants in the land, and we seem as grasshoppers compared to them. And then we're told it gets worse. Numbers 14 begins that all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, a familiar refrain, and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. As my dad used to say before he would blow his top, but I'm just supposed to be calm, cool, and collective. 
That was usually a warning. How would you feel if you were in Moses' shoes? And they say, we want to now appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. After he had risked all, I mean, he had done these incredible things along the way. You might even hear something like David Banner used to say before he turned into the Incredible Hawk. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Well, it gets worse. When we look over at chapter 16, we see this great rebellion that occurs in that chapter with Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, son of, son of Levi and Dathan and Erbam, the sons of Eliab. And they rose up before Moses, we're told in, in chapter 16, verse 2, with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you've gone too far for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. And why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And Moses was pretty upset about that and he went to plead with the Lord on their behalf. And then we're told in verse 11 of that same chapter, that it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abraham, Abraham, the sons of Eliab, and they said, we will not come up. It is, a, is it a small thing that you have brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you may make yourself a prince over us? Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. And will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, don't respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them and I've not harmed any of them. So what does the Lord do? Well, he tells, he tells the people that, you know, if, he, if there's nothing special about me, then basically let, let their death not be special. But if there is something special about me, let Korah and, and, and their death be special, like, like the earth would open up and swallow them special. And before he finishes that prayer, the, the, the ground opens up and swallows Korah and Korah's rebellion. And then we're told... But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, you've killed the people of the Lord. And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered, and then the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces." And Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put fire in it from the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and and carry atonement for them for wrath has gone out for the Lord. The plague has begun. And so Moses prays and he sends Aaron and Aaron took it as Moses said and he ran into the midst of the assembly and behold, the plague had already begun among the people and he put on the incense and made atonement for the people and he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stopped. Numbers 16. That brings us up to speed with Numbers 20, verse 3, because Numbers 23 is a reference back to Numbers 16. And they cry out, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. You killed them, Moses, and we wish we'd have died with them when Korah and the earth swallowed up. And when these other people, you know, the, the, when they went to 250 people were offering incense, they were all struck down and died. And here a plague has begun, and they're saying, Would that we had died. Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. 
And so then verse four and five, it's clear that they don't like where their leader has taken them. He's delivered them out of Egypt. But why, they're thinking, this is worse. You've brought us to this evil place. There's no place for any gardens or fruit-bearing trees. There's, this isn't good for grain, figs, vine, pomegranates. There's no water to drink. He took, they're in the place called Zin. And the Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia says this about the wilderness of Zin. With a, few, with a fickle few inches of rain in the slightly less rigid, arid north, with its soil bestrown with rock, flint, and sand, with its surface corrugated by fault scraps and breached by the elongated erosional craters of the Koresh and Kurnub Mountains, Zin was mostly barren. It's not a great place. And here's the difficult thing for a pastor is sometimes you step out in faith and as a leader and things don't always go smoothly. I've heard stories of, of pastor and even this church when it began that, you know, the people stepped out in faith and they, and they, and they you know, had to pay off this thing called a mortgage and, and a church and, and the builder just skips town. And then who's got to pay the subs? The church. And what happens? A church has to pay twice for the same building. And who do you think often gets blamed when that happens? The pastor, the leader. You left, you brought us out of Egypt, you know. Leaving Egypt didn't go smoothly for, for Israel. They had some rough roads in front of them. They had some rough road behind them. They had Pharaoh and his army breathing down their necks. And they get to the sea and they're like, this is it. We're going to die right here at this Red Sea. Well, I can recall when we tried to get Leroy Carhart out of Germantown, Maryland with his grisly barbarian tactics of abortion and we paid, a bunch of churches paid two, two abortion clinics to close in Maryland. And lo and behold, two months later, after Leroy Carhart was uh, left without a job, he found work in another building in Bethesda. And I gotta tell you, that was a blow for me. And I'm sure a blow for many of you. And someone who's no longer at the church sent me an email that went like this. The upshot was said, I'm not gonna read you directly the email, but they basically said, what you did was a Hail Mary pass at best. And now I think you need to dial it back a bit before you lose all credibility with the church. Ouch. Ouch. And you know, as I thought about that, I had to forgive him. I, I've joked with a few people, you know what? It was probably the best Hail Mary pass we ever threw <laughs> as a church. But words hurt, don't they? And sometimes we don't even know which words might send us off. And often it can be an email exchange. It can be painful things that are said. I was recently meeting with a guy over at Panera Bread. This was right after I had just come from my orthopedist and had been diagnosed that I needed knee surgery. And I went to my next appointment and I'm, I'm just not in a great mood because I'm in pain. And a guy comes walking up to me and I can tell instantly that he wants money. And I wasn't real gracious to him. I just said, what do you want? And He's trying to butter me up, and I'm, you know, t talking about my golf game because I had a golf shirt on, and on and on. He's trying, you know, and so I'm waiting for my appointment. My appointment comes, 
and he asked me for money to cheeburger cheeburger and we're in Panera and I told him look I'll buy you something here at Panera but I'm not giving you money and that just sent this guy into orbit and uh, I wonder if Jeremy's here because he was my appointment but I just felt bad because here I'm with a guy I've never met before in our church, and this guy is just unloading bombs. I mean, we're talking the big curse words, the big ones, and they're all being mumbled, and he just continues on with this congregation. I mean, he should have been shimmy-eye. I mean, he should have just shoveled some, you know, dirt my way. You know, he just kept going on and on. But and none of that really bothered me. But when he got done, he said, and I hope you never walk again, because he knew I was having knee surgery. And he just said, and I hope you never walk again. And I thought, man, you can cuss at me all you want, but that really, like, that just, like, triggered something, like, it really hurt my feelings, but I was, like, really angry by that. Like, that was below the belt. Well, that's what's going on here for Moses, is the people have been striking below the belt. And what do you do when things like that happen? Well, in verse 6, we see that Moses and Aaron, they get away from the people and they get alone with God. And they're at the entrance of the tent of meeting and they fall on their faces. And it's assumed they're praying to God. They're asking for help. And God shows up and his glory appeared to them. And the Lord gave specific instructions to Moses. And the specific instructions are in verse 8. Take, assemble, tell the rock. Right? So take your staff with you, assemble the people together, and tell the rock. And this is a familiar refrain in verse 9, we're told um, that Moses took the staff before the Lord as he commanded him. Now, if you read through the book of Numbers, in chapter 2, chapter 3 twice, three times, chapter 4, chapter 8, three times, chapter 9, and chapter 17, we see this clear established pattern. Ten times we are told Moses did all that God commanded him. And all that God commanded to Moses to do, he did. And we keep seeing that ten different times. And we're leading up to this. And yet, so Moses is always doing what God has commanded him to do. But something happened here. They assembled the people before the rock. So far, so good. And then Moses says, Here now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? What happened? Moses was commanded to speak to the rock, not to the people. And instead, he speaks to the people and strikes the rock. And this is bad, as we shall see, because Moses was a prophet. And as a prophet, he's to speak the words that God has given him to speak and only the words that God has given him to speak. And then Moses instead speaks to the people when the Lord hasn't given him a word to speak to them and calls them rebels, which sounds a lot like raka and fool, as Matthew Henry argues in his commentary. And you may recall the, recall the reference to raka and fool is from the German Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you've heard it said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And Moses, in his anger here, becomes a false prophet at this point. 
We are told it went ill with Moses. He was angry and he spoke rashly with his lips. And so he becomes a false prophet at this point because he's giving a word from God that God has not given him to speak. And Moses is angry at the people as our confession of sin brought out this morning. But it gets worse. You see, the people of God may have been rebels, and that is what Moses calls them, but the boomerang effect is that twice now in Numbers, God calls out Moses and Aaron and says, you have rebelled against me, that you were the rebels. The very thing you were accusing the congregation of, the boomerang has come back on you, and that's the very thing you're guilty of. So if, if you look down at Numbers 20, 24, we're told, let Aaron be gathered to his people. He shall not enter the land, for I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. And then we're told the same thing in Numbers 27, 12 to 14, where it says, the Lord said, go up to this mountain of Abarim and see the land that I have given you to the people of Israel. And when you have seen it, you shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. So Moses gets to see the promised land, but he's not able to go there because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin. When the congregation quarreled, failing to uphold me as holy in the, water, in the waters before their eyes. And so Moses had accused the people of being rebels, but the rebel was in reality Moses and Aaron. Have you ever had that boomerang hit come back on you like that? You complain about the complaining. You get frustrated at the other person's frustration. You grumble that the other people are grumbling. You murmur because other people are murmuring. And you're unbelieving about their unbelief. And your anger leads to, their anger leads to your anger. And their provoking leads you to be provoked. If you recall that classic David Pallison quote from his book on anger, good and angry. He said, people in conflict are hypocrites. They dish out global condemnation while feeling outrage whenever they are mistakenly criticized regarding some tiny detail of a story. They grouse about a spouse spending $20 on some perceived frivolity while not thinking twice about spending $500 on their own hobbies. They damn others as theological idiots and biblical ignoramuses while they are loveless and self-righteous. They defend the, the God of mercy, mercy mercilessly. They harshly accuse others of harshness. They get angry at angry people. They proudly judge proud people and they gossip about gossips. That's the boomerang effect. And that's what's happened to Moses and Aaron here. And Moses lifted up his hand. You can see the, the, the picture in your mind of and striking the rock twice in, in anger. And much water came out. And Moses at this point is not just a false prophet, but he's a false priest. Because now he's striking the rock to provide for the people and God did not instruct him to do that. He was to speak to the rock because God's word was sufficient. And since the rock had already been struck, it didn't need to be struck again in the same way Christ doesn't need to be crucified again. He's already been pierced for your transgressions and crushed for your iniquities. He becomes a false priest. And lastly, he becomes a false king. Shall we bring water out of the rock for you? As if to imply he's part of this deal. He's the one bringing the water and providing the people for the people through his angry efforts. And in his anger, he strikes the, the rock. And we know from 1 Corinthians 10 that the rock was Christ. Christ took those angry blows from Moses. You see, Moses forgets who he is, that he's just the instrument. And he's not the performer of the, of the miracle apart from God. 
we can do nothing. The staff is nothing. Moses is nothing. The rock is nothing. But with God, all things are possible. And so he should have said, not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name, O Lord, give glory. But when he says, much we fetch water, now he's including himself that it's not just God doing it. The Wycliffe Bible commentary says it like this. If Moses had merely spoken to the rock, as the Lord had directed, the miracle would have pointed to the power of God. As it was, Moses took God's place in word and in deed. You see, who's getting credit for this miracle? As the people are seeing it, they're seeing Moses and his staff and his words rather than God doing it all. Furthermore, God doesn't let Moses and Aaron lead his people into the promised land because the people would now be trusting in Moses and Aaron rather than the Lord. They lost their credibility to lead by taking the glory for themselves and God will have no rivals for his glory. And so Moses... We're told here that another part of the reason is that you didn't believe me, to uphold me as holy. Their unbelief was in part that Moses thought he needed to help God out a little bit. I know you just told me to speak to the rock, but last time I struck it, so I must need to just strike it here to like make it happen. Let me just help the Lord along here as if, as if God needed a little help, a little striking of the rock rather than just believing the power of his word would be enough. So we see even the best of men have failings. If we think we're standing firm, we're told, beware lest we fall. And so you take a passage like this and you ask the question, perhaps you're asking it this morning, where is the grace of God in this passage? And what's the answer? It's everywhere and it's really wet is the answer. Because Moses was told to strike the rock and we're told from Exodus 17 where God says, I will stand before you there. I will take the blows and you strike the rock and the water will come out. And so the idea is God saying, I am my glory will descend upon that rock and you shall strike that rock and you're just gonna strike me. And God is struck. And when that rock was struck, what kind of grace do we see? Well, we got 600,000 men, they're married, that take us up to about 1.2 million, they have children, so that'll put us over 3 million, plus we've got grandparents, that puts us over 4 million, and we've got livestock and cattle, so we got about 8 million living beings that need to be, that are dying of thirst here, and we see millions of gallons of water, tanker trucks a minute of water coming out of that rock. So if you're wondering where the grace is, it's everywhere, abundantly flowing, despite their sin. Amazing. And who wrote this down for us? Who wrote this down? You know, Brian Chappell was very helpful to listen to a couple of his messages. This is kind of like one of his great texts that he preaches. But he tells a story about how years later, you know, when, when families come over for Christmas and, and, and things kind of, you know, start to talk about, do you remember when and shh, it's okay now. We can tell the stories that we've been hiding from our parents for 20 and 30 years, but they're safe to tell like 20 years later. It's safe, why? Because it's family. Who's telling the story? Moses is telling the story. Moses may not have made that in, into the, he got to see the promised land, but I can assure you he's in the real promised land. He's in glory 
And he's writing the story to us to learn from his mistake and for us to learn from that. And as we look at this text, we see a better, a true and better Moses, and that's Jesus. And did you know that Jesus was at the Mount of Transfiguration and when he was transfigured before the people, do you know where he was when that happened? He was in the promised land. And Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus about his exodus, his departure. And so the promised land that Moses and Elijah are affirming Jesus, that Jesus is this tr- the true prophet, priest, and king. And he's the living water who satisfies our real thirst. And he is this artesian well from which we receive grace upon grace from his fullness, we're told in John 1. Any of you guys ever been to one of these reenactments, you know, Civil War reenactment things? I've never really been to one. I've seen a movie where they've done it, but I haven't really been to one. But what you have in John chapter 7, if you look back to your, to your reflection quote and you're wondering why in the world was this our reflection quote, this was a reenactment ceremony, okay? So what happens in John chapter 7, and it's interesting how the, in the gospel of John, if you know John chapter 6, that's where Jesus talks about the manna and he says, that was me. I'm the bread of life. I'm the true and better manna. And in chapter seven, where you have talking at this feast, and the Feast of Booths was a reenactment ceremony. And they would light everything up with torches, and they were reenacting that God was providing for them in the wilderness, and he was a pillar of fire, and so they would have all these lights. And then at the one day of the feast, the the priest would go down, and he would do this water ceremony, and he would pour out this massive amount of water to remind the people that something happened in the wilderness. It was a reminder that God provided out of the rock. Well, in the middle of this reenactment ceremony, somebody interrupts. Jesus stands up and cries out, if anybody thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Can you imagine Jesus doing this in the middle of this reenactment ceremony? He's saying, it's me. It's about me. I'm the, I'm the water. I'm the artesian well. And you come to me and you'll become the artesian well. And the Holy Spirit will bring life out of you. And life will start flowing out of you. And all of a sudden out of you is gonna be this artesian well and out it's gonna come love and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and all these fruits of the Spirit are gonna start coming out of you as you trust in Jesus. You see, there's lots of grace in this text because we see where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Jesus cried out from the cross, I thirst. He became so thirsty that he was dying of thirst. And out of the overflow of his grace, of his thirst, now he becomes provider for us. And where sin abounded, grace abounds all the more. Until the rock was smitten, the waters didn't flow. And until our Savior had been crushed for our sins, then was the gospel made real to us. And we're told again and again that Christ was struck 
He was struck, prophesy, who struck you? And they beat him and they strike him on the head and they, they nail the crown of thorns and they beat it into his head and they keep striking him. And then when he died, they took a spear and they jammed it into his side and out gushed blood and water. And he who saw it, John says, has borne witness that his testimony is true and he knows that he's telling the truth that you may believe that this is where your salvation comes from. Rest in him as we come to the table. Let's pray. Lord, you have provided for us abundantly. Thank you for this privilege now to feast at your table and ultimately, Lord, to feast on you. Lord, we ask that you would be our all in all. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.